Hello everyone and welcome back to a new episode of Too Hot to Handle. The day we record this is actually a very special day as Derek Chauvin, the police officer who killed George Floyd last year in the US, was found guilty of murder. This led to the largest social movement in US history, but also unprecedented protests from across the world to demand racial justice. In Europe, the European Parliament passed a resolution last year denouncing police brutality in the US, acknowledging the mass protests in response and calling for European action against structural racism. Yet, we are now about a year later, and for many EU decision makers, the problem of racism in policing and criminal legal system and structural racism the issue that sparked the George Floyd protest are still kind of over there on the other side of the Atlantic. So to discuss this today, where we are in Europe, what's the situation a year later and what's coming up next, I'm super, super happy to um, welcome Claire Gilder, who is one of the co-founder of Equinox. Hello, Claire. I'm very happy to welcome you. How are you doing today? Hi. Hi, Terry. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Um... Yeah, there's been a lot to reflect on today. I think that the sentencing, or not the sentencing, but the verdict that came down from the American court um, was vindication for a lot of people. I think that there is a lot of work to be done. I don't know. I don't think that there can be justice for people who have died. And I think that we need to look at the system as a whole rather than kind of this fixation on individuals. And condemning individual people but not looking at all of the the problems and the situations that lead to things such as the death of George Floyd um but yeah very very pensive very reflective today yeah and absolutely and that actually makes me think that I might change the order of the question uh, that I had in my mind and ask you first because you just mentioned system versus individual so before I ask you about equinox would you be um, happy to just, you know, maybe in a few words for those who still have a hard time making the difference between structural racism and um, kind of individual racism? Could you maybe briefly explain what we'll be talking about here uh, in this discussion? I mean, if I break it down and I use the, the, the Derek Chauvin trial as an example of that, Derek Chauvin is one man, he's one police officer. And to be honest with you, I don't think today that justice was served because there are still hundreds if not thousands of black people that have been killed by the police whose police officers have never even seen the inside of a courtroom you know and when we focus on individuals we're looking at the one person and the one thing we did we're not looking at the entirety of the system that allows police to execute violence in the name of the state without ever being held accountable for it Um, and so for us systemic racism is about the structures that are in place that enable the different individual acts of racism that we see happen on a daily basis throughout the world yeah thanks thanks for the reminder um so i mean you just launched an initiative you co-launched an initiative uh, which is called equinox and it's been really inspiring seeing everything you've been doing since the launch and there was really a need in the EU bubble space for an initiative like this. So maybe can you tell us a few words about what Equinox is about, what it's trying to achieve, how it kind of got started, um, who is it led by? That's also super interesting, but it, it'd be great to find out more. Thank you. Um, yeah, so Equinox was the brainchild of myself, Sarah Chanda and Alfie Zvaya. So we are three colleagues who work together on issues of racial justice in the past. Alfie is and I at the European Parliament. Sarah um, 
in the NGO world. And what we realized was that there was nothing led by racialized people on racial justice within the EU bubble. Um, and also nothing that focused on solidarity organizing as the center of efforts to eliminate structural racism. And so what we wanted to do was to just bring racialized voices into the discussion um, at EU level and beyond. And something else that we wanted to do was look at the themes of racism. So rather than looking at racism that affects individual groups, which is obviously very important, and we respect and work with many activists that focus on community issues, we wanted to go beyond that and look at the common problems that we all face as racialized people, whether we're black, whether we're um, from the Romani community, whether we're Jewish, et cetera, et cetera, and see how we can address them and how we can get the, how we could get the EU especially to step away from organizing in silos. So organizing in a way, in ways that focus on individual communities and rather organize in a broad brush way that address the, I'm going to use the word again, systemic <laughs> racism that is faced by many communities across Europe. And you mentioned the different work streams. Can you give us an overview of what you're going to be kind of focusing on? Yeah, of course. So our five work streams are institutions and what they and institutional racism, what institutions can do to address structural racism within society and within themselves, um, gender, and the way that we can expand our views of gender to make sure that it's inclusive of inclusive of all people. Um, climate and the impact of the climate crisis on racialized communities, migration, because this is something that until very recently has often been left out of discussions on racism. And when we look at especially the EU's migration policies, they are, I mean, they're built on racism and, and colonial ideas. Um, and then finally, law enforcement. And as we've spoken about today, and as you mentioned, actually, in your introduction, The issue of racism within law enforcement is often dismissed as an, an American problem. And it's a very, very European issue, too. You know, I mean, it's a universal issue. There is there are issues with the police across the world. And, and when you look at how police forces came into being, it's not a surprise, given that they're rooting in racism and colonization. Um, but we really wanted to see racism within law enforcement addressed. I mean, my next question is something that we actually discussed with um, Sarah when she was on the episode about the lack of diversity and inclusion in European politics. But for those who maybe haven't listened to this episode, why is it so essential to have initiatives that are, that are sorry, led um, by racialized communities? I mean, a nice phrase that is often referred to in this situation is nothing about us without us. And I think very much in the same way that no one would dream of having a discussion on gender equality without any women. Well, <laughs> I say that sometimes they do. But <laughs> most reasonable people wouldn't want I know. to have a... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Most reasonable people wouldn't have a, a discussion on gender equality without any women in the room. Um, we think that the same needs to apply to racial justice. And I don't understand how we can or how we can formulate policy and how we can we can understand truly the impacts of racism without having anybody in the room with the situated knowledge that comes and can only come from being a person of color that experiences racism and has experienced it but that is not to say that every racialized person is an expert on race and i think this is a really important thing and distinction to make is that there is expertise in understanding structural 
racism, in understanding institutional racism, in understanding racism in general is is the, is scholarship, you know. And I think another thing is is that sometimes and oftentimes people just think that okay, like here, let me take this this random person, this, this say say I'll take this black person because they must be an expert on structural racism and this really isn't the case you know but the other thing is, is we're not just rooted in the eu bubble of this is one of one of our outputs but the other thing that we want to do is just connect communities because together we're stronger right yeah and i think that it's really important for us to go across our own identities and make links with with other communities and, and, and try and drive this change together when you look at the current situation at eu level it feels yeah. like there's a will to act upon this upon the yeah. issue of systemic racism and mm -hmm. the lack of diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. and do you feel like this is a genuine will or it's more like a communication effect because there's been a lot of noise that's made last year and mm. if you feel like there's no genuine will Do you feel like it's linked to the political context with, for instance, the rise of far-right policies, even at EU level? Something that has saved my sanity in the past years is just taking everything at face value. <laughs> so I'm going to say yes. I, I want to say yes, there is genuine political will. I want to say that when von der Leyen opened the anti-racism summit, she genuinely meant what she said. Um, and she is genuinely invested in structural change. Um Whether I mean, I, but I think I think that this doesn't mean that this was not the result of protests. I think the the incredible thing about the work that anti-racism activists have done for decades, but especially the protests that erupted across the globe last summer, was that politicians were forced to sit up and listen. They had no other choice. So whilst obviously there is an element of of response to these protests, um. That could be taken as a communication angle i think that it just really highlights the importance of protest and how relevant protest is and i think that lots of people were quick to condemn protests they were heavily policed um across the protests across the world were heavily policed politicians contend protesters but at the end of the day we're in a we're at a place in europe um and in america today with the with the guilty verdict for chauvin where we have not been in the world of racial justice ever You know, and like I said earlier, for me, the verdict today is, I mean, I, I express solidarity with George Floyd's loved ones, but I, I would really urge people not to get distracted by the idea that justice has been served and we can go back to normal. You know, this is really the very, very beginning of a very, very long and important fight. Maybe do you have some thoughts about the, the current political context, both at EU level, but also across Europe and how this may affect the future work towards racial equality? And racial justice? Um, I think, yeah, I think that the, the commission in its words is expressing goodwill. I really hope that there will be continued consultation with civil society and the development of a relationship that means that civil society is really heavily involved um, in the processes that were outlined in the anti-racism action plan that was published last year. Um, I also hope that the silo approach will be abandoned and that work will be organized around themes. In terms of the political context across Europe as a whole, I mean, in, in, an, in a word, I would say it's a mess. If we look at what's going on in France at the moment, um, and the, just the latent Islamophobia 
and racism in general, but especially at this point in time, like Islamophobia. I mean, we had the the approval, or not the approval, but obviously the Senate is discussing this anti-separatism bill at the moment that would ban women from wearing hijabs in public. You know, we have these also separate but not unrelated draconian laws, the, the law that was passed by the parliament last week, um, the global security law that essentially uh, criminalises the sharing of media of police. Yeah. Something that if if someone hadn't recorded the murder of George Floyd, there would be no justice today for for that for that murder. Um, I think all of this stuff is deeply worrying. I think what's deeply worrying is that Macron carries so much gravitas within the EU. And I think that's shown by the deafening silence of all of the institutions with regards to what's going on in France today. So I just, I don't know, I worry about the individual level. We've also got a, a, an election coming up in Germany. And, and, you know, we see often around election times, our, uh, yeah, the, the politicians that we have at the moment, hopefully this will change, <laughs> but don't seem to be so fearless in, in regards to their politics. They prefer to pander to the far right instead of set mm. out clear, count, well, not even counters, but just a, a different narrative. So in terms of the context across Europe, that is worrying. But the flip side of this is, I feel as though there are many struggles that are more connected than ever and that the people power that we have seen over the past year and that we continue to see today is a really positive force for change so to be honest with you my hope lies within that solidarity within people and within the continual building of these movements that are affecting this change and and I think that that can contribute to some meaningful steps towards Mm -hmm. racial justice oh you give me so much hope in this Wednesday Wednesday end of the (laughs) positive words um I, I have a question that is Nowhere near easy to answer in a two-minute time frame. Um, so I apologize in advance. But if you could, I don't know, share some leads, for instance, or some ideas about how we could make this happen. It's Europe has such a such a dark history, right? And it's it seems like it's nowhere near ready to acknowledge it. And yet it feels like this would be the first step um, towards racial justice. So what do we need to make happen? What needs to happen so that Europe not only recognizes its responsibility and its colonial um, history, but also its, as Sarah actually put it in the in the um, in the podcast, its colonial past, uh, its colonial present, and how it is um, profoundly racist um, towards both people that live in Europe, but also towards the rest of the world. Like, what could be the next steps towards racial justice in Europe? And I know, I'm sorry, this is such a tough question. Yeah, that's a big question. And I, I, I'd be lying if I said I had an answer to it. <laughs> um, I have I have thoughts on it. I think it's, it's about, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't get help for a problem unless you admit that you have the problem, right? And I think that something that is really important is taking away... I'm I'm trying to phrase this in a way that people won't come at me. I think that what we have to do is open ourselves to learning. And I think that we can accept that we have a problem without internalizing shame for that problem. I think that it is healthy to be remorseful. And I think that it's healthy to recognize when something has been done wrong. 
But unless you will acknowledge that and unless you will try and understand how you can move forward from that in a constructive way, we can't get anywhere. I think a lot of the issues that we have in terms of Europe acknowledging its dark past, as you put it, is that people just refuse that it's, it's, you know, people want to turn their heads the other way and say, no, this is this is this isn't something that we need to focus on. You know, this is bad. We won't look at it. But this just isn't helpful for anyone, because also that means we're not acknowledging the position that people are in today. I think also that acknowledging this past and present, as Sarah obviously wonderfully put it when she spoke with you already, is that you have to then question your position within society, right? And I think that people have to be willing to do that. And that is something that, again, doesn't need to come with any kind of, I mean, it just needs to come with an openness. I think it's about having an open mind to the fact that we all, (laughs) the majority of us, at least I imagine the majority of us listening to this podcast, occupy positions that are reliant on the exploitation and oppression of other people. And I think that it's our job to think about how we can change that. Um, In terms of what can be done, I think that on a very basic level, education is really important, you know, and I think that everyone should be taught about not only the colonial history of Europe, but also the history of the nations that that Europe colonised. I think we also get really stuck on this idea that, (laughs) like, in, in in certain people's minds, it feels as though certain countries certain um certain yeah people don't exist pre-colonialization pre-slavery for example and i think that this is a this is something that is really important too to understand that it's not just europe that has a history everybody has a history and the Mm. histories that we can benefit from and and really learn from you know yeah yeah absolutely and maybe decenter european history a little bit that would be (laughs) a lot entirely (laughs) yeah exactly that would be oh Jesus, even just the maps, the, the, the maps of the world. Um, and maybe as a last question, what are your what are your plans with Equinox? You know, what are you hoping to achieve in the next few months? Can people support you in any way? Is there anything, whether it's, you know, donation or amplifying the work that you do? Um, yeah. How can individuals get involved? That's a really good question. This is something we're thinking a lot about at the moment. And the thing that we want more than anything is for anyone who wants to get involved to be able to get involved. But as three people with kind of two people who are who help us out, who are employed to help us out, it's very difficult to expand in a way that is sustainable and is um, productive at this point in time. So, I mean, just keep, I, I would say, follow us on Twitter at Equinox RJI. <laughs> follow us on Instagram um, get in touch with us on the contact form via our website if you have any ideas if you want to if you want to just have a chat with us bear with us on the delay on the email sometimes because this is a lot um, and then just also follow all of our all of our steering group follow racialized like follow networks of, of, of racialized folks I think also think about intersectionality in the way that you engage with our work think about um, the fact that identity can be like one entry point to a, a, a struggle or a movement but it isn't it's not it's not where we should come out of on the other end so I think that another way that is re- another thing that is really important and in terms of engaging with us is that everybody can engage and is welcome to you know we're only we're, we're only strong together and I think that for us it's really about getting everybody on board and everyone trying to do what they can to to further this to further the goal of, of racial justice, but not just racial justice, general societal justice, and not only in Europe, but across the world. 
powerful words, Claire. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for chatting with us about Equinox and about the current situation in Europe. It's, um, it's been great to have you and I hope we'll be able to chat again in the future about, um, yeah, what are your plans, what you achieve and um, just uh, pop by anytime you want, I guess. <laughs> Thanks, Chloe. Have a lovely day. You too.